please turn with me in your bulletins or in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2. Before I read the text for us and then we look at it together, I just want to say, saints, I am so thankful for you. I am so thankful for God's kindness to me in letting me be a member of the church here. Let me read Proverbs chapter 2. Hear now the reading of God's word. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. And so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. May our gracious God bless the reading and now the preaching of his word. Well, as we've seen in uh, prior weeks, in this section of the book of Proverbs, we are invited to listen in as a wise father teaches his young son, probably a teenage son, about wisdom. And we uh, are meant to glean wisdom from listening in on that conversation. Did you notice, as we read through the text a moment ago, that our passage this morning is all about paths. The the primary metaphor that the father employs throughout this chapter is unmistakably the image of life as a path. Verse 8 mentions the paths of justice and the way of God's saints. Verse 9 talks about every good path. Verse 12 warns against the way of evil. Verse 13, the paths of uprightness and the paths, I'm sorry, the ways of darkness. 
Uh, Verse 15 mentions crooked paths. Verse 18 tells about a path that leads to death. Verse 20 talks about walking in the way of the good and keeping to the paths of the righteous. Proverbs 2 is all about paths. And that image of life as a path or as a journey, uh, it makes sense to us intuitively. In fact, we use that kind of language ourselves. We talk about taking the high road or being on a detour or enjoying the journey or having finally arrived, right? Those are metaphors we use to describe our experience in life. And throughout the book of Proverbs, and and really throughout the whole Bible, uh, this image of life as a path uh, is a particularly rich and textured metaphor. In Proverbs, your path describes three things. Your path describes how you're living, who you're with, and where you're going. Your path describes how you're living, who you're with, and where you're going. Let me show you that from the text. So first, your path describes how you are living or your habits. So for example, verse 8 talks about the paths of justice, right? Clearly, that's an image for the habit of choosing or turning toward just and right actions, Uh, Verse 15 talks about men whose paths are crooked, right? Crooked paths are choices, large choices and small choices that deviate from what's good, from what's wise. Uh, Verse 13 speaks about ways of darkness, a path in the dark, right? That suggests a lifestyle of secrecy and dishonesty, to cover up things that you know are wrong. It's a way of living. In Proverbs, your path represents all the many choices, large choices, small choices, choices for good, choices for evil that you and I make every day. And Proverbs pictures these choices as determining our direction of travel on a path. Our path describes how we're living. Second, our path describes who we are with, or who we do life with. There are three specific paths mentioned in this passage. There's the path of wisdom. We hear about that in verses 8 to 11, and then again toward the end of the chapter. Uh, Second, there's the path of evil men there in verses 12 to 15. And there's also the path to the forbidden woman there in verses 16 to 19. Did you notice No one is walking any of these paths alone. The path of wisdom is described as the way of the good, or literally the way of the good ones. It's described as the way of God's saints, plural. The path of evil men is, shocker, the path on which you walk alongside other evil men doing what they do. And the path to the forbidden woman is described as a very well-traveled path. And of course, it's a path that leads to an illicit sexual companion. Here, Proverbs is reminding us through this image of the path, once again, you are being shaped by the people that you do life with. You are being shaped by the people that you do life with. Proverbs 13.20 says it this way. 
It says, whoever walks with the wise, walks, there's that image of the path, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Brothers and sisters, what an important reason to seek out meaningful relationships with God's people in your church. What an important reason to walk with one another that we might help one another along the path that God has called us to walk. Your path is a picture of how you're living. It's a picture of who you're with. Third and finally, your path also describes where you're going. That's another metaphor. Let me put it more concretely. Your path is a metaphor for the ever-accumulating results of how you're living. Your path is a metaphor for the ever-accumulating results of how you're living. You see, every mile that you walk toward Canada is a mile that you walk away from Florida. And so if you walk toward Canada for four days, and then you decide, really and genuinely, to change course and head for Florida, you might really change direction. But you understand, you are four days short of where you started, and you're four days in the opposite direction, further away. Right? The ever-accumulating results of your choices are your path, are where your living is taking you. Proverbs reminds us, our life is like a path. Right? However you are living, however intentional or unintentional you're being about how you live, the results of your choices are always accumulating. And most significantly, as you walk through life, you are becoming someone. Whether you think about this or not, you are, through your choices, becoming a kind of person every day. Your choices are turning into habits. Your habits are turning into character. And your character is getting harder and harder to change. Your character is in large part determining how life goes for you. You are headed in a certain direction at all times. You are headed toward even an ultimate, even an eternal destination. See, walking the path of life is serious business. So the million-dollar question is how do you get on and stay on the right path? The author of Proverbs 2 and I are so glad that you asked Proverbs chapter 2 is, in the original language, one massive sentence, and it's structured as an if-then proposition. So if you're a grammar nerd, that's a protesis and an apotesis, not a hippopotamus, an apotesis, an if-then, okay? So the if is very simple, and it's there in the first four verses, and the rest of the passage is the then. So let me summarize Proverbs 2 for you. Here's the summary sentence. If you seek wisdom, then you will find God, protection, and the path to life. 
If you seek wisdom, then you will find God, protection, and the path to life. With the rest of our time this morning, I just want to break that sentence down into four movements, uh, and we'll walk straight through the passage with kind of those four divisions or movements in mind. So the first movement, verses one to four, if you seek wisdom, I realize that's half of a thought, but let's see uh, what, the, what the Father is saying there in these first four verses. If you seek wisdom, look there at the first two verses of the passage. The Father says this, he says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. And notice here, the Father closely associates his own teaching with wisdom, right? In these first nine chapters, some of the time we're hearing from the Father, and some of the time we're hearing from woman wisdom. Clearly, there's no disjunction between the content and the teaching of those two figures. The Father's teaching is the teaching of wisdom, as the whole of Scripture is. Well, look what the Son is encouraged to do with his Father's wisdom. What are the action words, the verb and verb phrases in these verses? Verse 1, receive, treasure up, right? Value highly and keep within oneself. Verse 2, make your ear attentive, incline your heart, lean toward, right? The call is to listen eagerly and attentively to God's wisdom. Listen like it's important, Listen with your heart leaned over, interested in what the living God has to say. There in verses 3 and 4, we see the father urging his son not just to receive wisdom, but to look for it actively. Look there at verse 3. The father says, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding... Remember, we're told back in chapter 1 that woman wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. Here the father is saying, son, don't just let wisdom call to you. You go after her. Don't just listen when wisdom comes to you. Go get it. Go look for it. Look eagerly for wise counsel. Right, not bias confirming counsel that tells you what you already wanted to hear. Right, raise your voice so that you might get insightful counsel. Seek after understanding. Remember that word understanding refers to insight into the true nature of reality. Now look at, look at the kind of seeking that the father wants his son to do there in verse 4. Look at verse 4. The father says, if you seek it, it being wisdom or understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, seek wisdom like silver, search for it as for hidden treasures. There once was a youth director of a Baptist church in New York City. And this youth director was in charge of planning a trip for the youth to go to Six Flags. So before the trip, this youth director collected money for tickets from the youth. He collected hundreds and hundreds of dollars for Six Flags tickets. And he kept this money in a Ziploc bag 
inside of his own bag. Well, one day, this youth director suddenly realized that he had, I don't want to say lost, but he had temporarily misplaced this Ziploc bag full of hundreds and hundreds of dollars for the Six Flag tickets. What kind of search do you think that youth director conducted for that Ziploc bag? Was he lazy as he sought to find it? Was he nonchalant and perfunctory, not really caring whether he found it? Right? Did he leave stones unturned? Did he grow tired and search out of robotic duty, not really paying attention to what he was doing? I searched for that Ziploc bag <laughs> with zeal and fervor, and praise the Lord, I found it. Amen. <laughs> Friend, is that how you search for wisdom in God's Word? Like you're looking for silver. Does your time in God's Word look more like paying your taxes, right? I have to do this so that I don't get penalized. Or looking for a badly needed bag of cash. Christian, let me remind you, the knowledge of the living God and His wisdom that's available to you in the Scriptures, it is more precious than silver. It is better than a Ziploc bag full of cash. It is sweeter than honey. May our God teach us to search His Word for His wisdom with our whole hearts. If you seek wisdom... That's what we get in the first four verses. Second movement of the passage there in verses 5 to 8. If you seek wisdom, second movement, then you will find God. If you seek wisdom, then you will find God. Now look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I recall in the Bible, this, the central idea behind wisdom is really the idea of living skillfully, right? It's, it's the idea of living well or adeptly, skillfully in the things that matter most. In this passage, we've talked about understanding. Understanding is seeing reality clearly. Well, Proverbs here reminds us that all true wisdom and all true understanding it starts with knowing God himself, with fearing him, with relationship with him. Verse 5 speaks about the fear of the Lord. Remember, we've said that the fear of the Lord is humility, awe, reverence, and delight in the Lord that shapes everything that you do. Here we're reminded again that the fear of the Lord is foundational to wisdom, we're kind of reminded of it in a, in a reverse order, right? We're told that if we seek wisdom earnestly, our search will direct us to the fear and the knowledge of God. That's true whether you seek wisdom through special revelation, right, through God's scriptures. The scriptures are always leading you to God himself, not so that you might know things, but so that you might know him. It's also true if you seek wisdom through natural revelation, Right? The Bible's clear that the glory of God is shouting at us in the created world. 
We don't find God through natural revelation because of our hardened hearts, but He is there. He is the one that the beauty and the glory and the wisdom of the created world are meant to lead us to. The path to wisdom is always leading you to God Himself. Fearing and knowing God is the central ingredient to being wise, and God is the one with the ability to make wise. Look there at verse 6. Verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Friend, if you're here this morning and you wish that you were wiser, if you wish that you were different in certain ways, that you could change, that you could grow in skillfulness in living, Please understand, the Bible says that the path to all ultimately meaningful change leads through knowing God personally. You you can change in some meaningful ways without really doing business with God. But if you want to change in ways that ultimately and eternally matter, that path will lead you to knowing and fearing God. The Lord gives wisdom. Right, our New Testament scripture reading from James put it like this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Right, that's a, that's a wonderful truth. God is a generous giver of wisdom. But as James points out, it's actually kind of a double-edged sword because we are sinful people who are averse to coming to God in faith. Right? James convicts us for our double-mindedness. He shows us that sometimes when we ask God for wisdom, we don't actually want wisdom. We don't actually want the fear of the Lord. We want God to bless and sanction what it is that we already selfishly want, right? And James is so clear, the Bible is so clear that God is full of mercy for sinners, but that he will not play games with us. Right? Let that man not suppose that he will receive wisdom from the Lord. God wants us to come to him seeking him. If you seek wisdom, then you will find God. And because of the kind of God that God is, here's the third movement in the text, you'll also find protection. You'll also find protection. So here we're going to cover from verse 7 all the way to verse 19 under this heading. You'll find protection. Look there at verses 7 and 8. The text says about the Lord, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Shield, guarding, watching. Right? The text is saying, if you seek wisdom, then you'll find God and God will protect you. He'll be your shield. He'll guard you. He'll watch over you. The truth that God guards and protects his people is true in all kinds of ways. I think our text here has a very specific kind of protection in view. Lord willing, we'll come back to verses 9 and 10. Skip over those for now. Look with me there at verse 11. Verse 11 says, if we seek wisdom, then discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Right? Right? Earlier in the verses, who guards and watches over? God 
watches over those who seek him. In verse 11, who, who does the watching over? Discretion watches over you. Understanding guards you. All right, the kind of protection that the text is speaking about is the protection that's built into wise behavior. Right, that's, that's what, part of what makes wisdom wise. Wisdom protects you from the terrible consequences of foolishness. Or as we see in this, these verses, God protects you through wise behavior. Right? The most important thing about wisdom is that it honors the Lord. But the Bible's so honest with us that not all of the time, but most of the time, things go way better when you do things wisely. Listen, Proverbs 9 verse 12 says it like this. This is shocking. This is in the Bible. Proverbs 9 12. It says, if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. That's amazing, right? Proverbs is saying, hey, one of the reasons you should want wisdom is because of the protection from foolishness that it gives you. I think if we were all to just be perfectly candid with one another, I feel that we could all share stories about how our foolish behavior has led to hurt and destruction. I could share some of those stories. But I'm sure also by God's grace, we could share stories about times that wisdom has protected us. Because not perfectly, but really, we sought to honor the Lord and be wise. I'm sure we could share instances of how things went better because of that, by God's grace, in His kindness, of how God, through discretion, through understanding, took care of us and guarded us. Praise the Lord for His kindness in that. That's not something that we earn. That's God's kindness to His people to protect us through giving us wisdom. Here in this passage, we find two specific paths that the father hopes that wisdom will protect his son from. They're both introduced with the key word, deliver. They're there in verses 12 to 15, and then verse 16 to 19, respectively. The two paths from which the father hopes wisdom will deliver the son. First path, as we said, is the path of evil men. And let me read verses 12 to 15. I'll start in verse 11. Verse 11 says, discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. It's not a good path. The language describing the sins of the people who walk on this path is, I think, fairly generic. And that seems intentional, right? The path of evil men is almost any path that's evil that you're tempted to walk down because of other people. So listen, if you're here today and you are a young person, this is for all of God's people, but particularly If you are here and you're under the age of 18, more than likely, almost certainly, there will come a time when the people around you want you to do evil things with them. 
There will come a time when other people want you to lie with them, to tell a lie with them, when they want you to gossip with them, when they want you to join in living not for the Lord, but for as much pleasure as you can get right now. There will come a time when other people want you to join them in sin that they will hide. But it's okay because we're going to hide it. We're going to lie about it. Right? There will be a time when people want you to join them in what the text calls perverted speech. They're going to want you to join them in approving of things that God says are wrong and of mocking things that God says are right. Listen, many people get led down deadly and destructive paths because they want the company and the approval of other people on those paths. So what what do you need in order to not turn down that path? What do you need to resist that temptation? Remember the logic of the passage, right? If you seek wisdom with all your heart, then you will find God. He will give you wisdom and wisdom will protect you. That's the protection that we need. Not indefinite protection of our environment, but the protection of wisdom dwelling in our hearts. That's also the protection we need from the second destructive path we see in this passage there in verses 16 to 19, right? It's the path of the forbidden woman. Look with me at verse 16. The father says, So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Remember, we have a father speaking to a son here. So the symbol of temptation to sexual immorality is an adulterous woman. Uh, It's fair to say that this woman is representative of all kinds of sexual temptation that whoever you are, you might face. God permitting, we'll see in coming weeks that this is a temptation, the temptation of sexual immorality against which the father warns repeatedly. The wise father of Proverbs thinks his child needs clear and repeated warnings against sexual immorality. Two things to note about the temptation to sexual immorality in this passage. First, sexual immorality is not private. It is not private. Look there at verses 16 and 17. Again, verse 16 says, "...so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words." who forsakes the companion of her youth, clearly her husband, and forgets the covenant of her God. In the specific case of temptation to adultery with someone else's wife, and really in every instance of sexual temptation, God and your neighbor are involved This woman forgets the covenant of her God. Friends, what a reminder that marriage is a covenant. It is a sacred bond and commitment in which God is involved, right? If you're married, your marriage is not just about you. Your marriage is not just about you and your spouse. Ultimately, If you are married, your marriage is about the God who has established the covenant of your marriage. 
because your marriage is meant to be a picture of God's love for his people. And whether or not you're married, when you indulge in sexual immorality, Scripture is clear, you sin against your body, you sin against your neighbor, and you sin against the Lord. Sexual immorality is never private. The second thing to note about sexual immorality from this text, sexual immorality leads to death. Why does this father ache for his son not to fall prey to sexual immorality? There in verses 18 and 19, he says, For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. In Proverbs, life doesn't just mean staying alive. Life most often means the good life in fellowship with God. And death, death often refers to the hurt, the pain, the shriveling, the corruption, the misery brought by the sin that disrupts our fellowship with God. Friends, listen, sexual immorality leads to death. So what what can keep you from that fate, right? What can deliver you from the temptation to sexual immorality? Remember the flow of the passage. If you seek wisdom, then you will find God. He will make you wise. Wisdom will protect you from the path of evil men, from the path to the forbidden woman. So friend, if you want to resist temptation in the future, seek wisdom now. Seek relationship with the living God now. Seek the fear of the Lord, the knowledge of God now, that you might be protected from temptation The way of evil men, the way of the forbidden woman, both end in death and darkness. What's the end result for those who seek wisdom? There in the final movement of our passage, verses 20 to 22, we find that if we seek wisdom, we'll find God, we'll find protection, and we will find the path to life. Look at verses 20 to 22. They say, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Right? These, these final verses, they speak not only of the good path, but of the good destination. Right? They speak of the land. Right? To an Old Testament Israelite, this would have connoted the promised land, the good land where God had promised that one day he would dwell with his people forever. The New Testament, we find that the promised land is a pointer to the new heavens and the new earth, where where God's people will dwell with him in resurrected bodies. The upright will inhabit the land. It's where the good path ends. So there you have it. That's the challenge of Proverbs chapter 2. If you seek wisdom, then you will find God, protection, and the path to life. And so what will you do? Will you seek wisdom like silver? Will you incline your heart to wise instruction? Will you fear the Lord? Will you maintain the straight course on the path to life? Or will you turn aside to the paths that lead to death and darkness? Or what, what kind of person are you becoming? Are you walking in integrity so that you might inhabit the land 
Or will you turn to wickedness and be cut off from it forever? Close curtains. Brothers and sisters, can you see that if our shot at eternal life rides on our ability to seek wisdom so diligently that we remain on the right path all of our days, that we have no hope. Proverbs chapter 2 is perfectly good. It is perfectly true. It is perfectly just. It is an accurate picture of how the paths in this life shake out. But brothers and sisters, aren't you glad that the Bible doesn't end at Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2 reveals that we need three things if our path is to end in life. Three things that God has mercifully provided for us in the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. First, we need a substitute. We need a substitute. Look there in verses 18 or 19, and 19. The father says this about the path to the forbidden woman. He says, For her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths to life. Question, how many people who go to the forbidden woman come back to the paths of life? None. Thank you, Doug. Friends, think about this verse in light of what the Lord Jesus says about adultery. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her in his heart, right? None of those people, right? We are a room full of people who have done that, right? None of them will regain the paths to life. That path ends in death, Ezekiel 18, verse 20, the soul that sins shall die. It's not unique to sexual immorality, right? but it's a particularly gripping and vivid example because we all have experience with it, at least in our hearts. If you have sinned, you must die. That is the way that wisdom works, which is why it's such astonishingly good news this morning that 2,000 years ago, the God who inspired Proverbs chapter 2 sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be a man and to walk the path that you and I should have walked. As a young man, Jesus so eagerly pursued wisdom. He inclined his heart to his father's words and instructions. Think about the story from Luke chapter 2 with 12-year-old Jesus sitting in the temple, right, listening and asking questions of the teachers of the law. I've mentioned before that Isaiah said of Jesus that his delight was in the fear of the Lord. Jesus never once swerved to the right or to the left against the allure of evil people and the temptation to sexual immorality. Jesus always at the level of his deepest heart, remained steadfast on the good and wise and right path. And you know where his path led him? His path led him up a hill outside Jerusalem to die as a curse, as our substitute. 
none who go to her regain the paths of life. If you go to sexual immorality, to sin, you will die. Jesus has died that people who have sinned might have life. Isaiah puts it like this in Isaiah 53, verse 6. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. It's the path, right? We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Friend, we have walked the path that leads to death. But the good news is that for everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, Christ has died as a substitute. His death paid for your foolish path. His righteous walk earned your spot in the new heavens and the new earth. Because God loves us enough to discipline us, he often does let us taste some, some of the bitter fruit of sin in this life as loving discipline. But if you are in Christ, your path does not end in death. You will inhabit the land forever. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, First, we're just thrilled that you've come to be with us this morning. We're, we hope you feel welcome. You're welcome to be here. We would be delighted to speak with you after the service about how to receive Jesus Christ as your substitute, that you might have eternal life instead of the death that we have all earned. Proverbs 2 reveals that we need a substitute, and praise God, we have one in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to walk the path of wisdom in this life, even imperfectly, Proverbs chapter 2 also reveals to us that we need the Spirit. The second thing that Proverbs 2 shows us we need is the Spirit. It's wonderful that Jesus is our substitute. But listen, the good news doesn't stop there. The good news is that because of God's grace, we are not condemned to live only foolishly all the time in this life until we make it to heaven. All right, we will not be perfect or remotely close in this life, but God has not left us incapable of walking wisely. Remember I said we'd come back to verses 9 and 10? Look there at what the Lord promises he'll do for us when we seek wisdom from him. Verses 9 and 10 say, then if you seek wisdom and find the fear of God, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Pleasant to your soul. God will change the taste buds of your soul if you seek him. Right? If, if you're in Christ, his promise to you is not just that he'll help you to internalize the content of wisdom, but that he will effectually change you on the inside. Right? In the opening sermon to the series on Proverbs, I talked about a company called Masterclass. Right? Masterclass offers online video courses taught by experts to help you improve your skills. Well, there was a brief period of time when I contemplated taking the Masterclass on basketball taught by Steph Curry, because I was pretty bad. But I realized that I am so hopeless at the sport of basketball that the, the master class would probably not help. In fact, what I would need is for the spirit of Steph Curry to come and inhabit in my heart to habituate me to good basketball. 
I am that bad, right? Christian, do you see that's what you have from the Lord in the gift of his Holy Spirit? When Proverbs 2 promises you that wisdom will come into your heart, the New Testament fulfillment of that reality is that the spirit of the risen Lord Jesus will come into your heart and from the inside out, he will make you wise. Listen to the promise God makes to us in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. He says, in the days of the new covenant, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. If you're in Christ, your journey of growth in wisdom might be a bumpy ride. Mine has been. But you are destined for full conformity to the wisdom of Jesus because his spirit is at work in you to make you wise. Proverbs 2 reveals that we need a substitute, that we need the spirit. Third, final thing that Proverbs 2 reveals that we need very briefly Proverbs 2 reveals that we need a shepherd. It's good that Jesus is our substitute who's bought our ticket to the new heavens and the new earth. It's good that God's spirit is slowly and unstoppably making us wise like Jesus is wise. But we don't just need to be saved. We don't just need to be changed. We need someone to be with us, to help us, to comfort us, to bring us back when we stray. Psalm 23 is one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible because it describes the Lord as the shepherd of his people. Do you remember what Psalm 23 says about paths? What does Psalm 23 say about paths? It says, He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? He leads me in paths of righteousness because I cooperate. He leads me in paths of righteousness because I'm not that bad. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Christian, this is your great hope. God's commitment to be with you all along the path. His commitment to bring you back when you stray is not rooted in you. It's rooted in who he is. Christian, your good shepherd leads you in Proverbs 2, paths of wisdom and righteousness for his name's sake. David Pallison puts it like this. He says, the love of Christ for me will get last say. He is merciful to me for his name's sake, for the sake of his own goodness, for the sake of his steadfast love and compassion. When he thinks about me, he remembers what he is like, and that is my exceeding joy. My indestructible hope is that he has turned his face toward me and he will never turn away. Friends, if it were not for the gospel, Proverbs 2 would be a crushing burden and unattainable standard. 
but in light of the mercy of our God in Christ. Proverbs 2 becomes for us a loving call to walk with our good shepherd. Let's pray that he would help us to be wise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who has died as our substitute. We thank you for your spirit who is making us like him. We thank you that you are our good shepherd who leads us in paths of righteousness. Thank you that Proverbs 2 is full of good news for those who are in Christ. Lord, would you teach us to seek wisdom from you with all of our hearts? Would you grow us in the fear of the Lord, in the knowledge of you? Not that we might earn anything from you, but that we might please you, that we might be near you, that we might walk in paths that are acceptable to you. God, I pray that you would cause wisdom to enter our hearts. Lord, that you would protect us from foolishness. Lord, not from losing your love because we know that you've promised that to us forever, Lord, but from displeasing you and from, from destruction and from foolishness, Lord, would you help us, Lord, to tend closely to the words of our good shepherd that we might walk with you. Thank you for your, for your grace, Lord. Would your word change us and, and make us more like you. Through Jesus Christ, amen.